Uh, folks, tonight we will continue our walk through the Gospels, uh, following to some degree the path of our Lord to the cross. Uh, there are six places he visited whose names start with the prefix Beth, B-E-T-H. And Beth means the house of. Now, so far on our journey, uh, we have visited Bethlehem. Bethlehem, the house of bread. And we saw sovereignty, subjection, and sonship. Uh, then we went to Bethabara. Bethabara, the house of crossing or the house of passage. And we saw humility, deity, trinity, and ministry. And next we visited Bethsaida. Bethsaida, the house of nets. And uh, we saw the saviour sentencing these cities. We saw sympathy. We saw sustenance supplied. We saw storms suppressed. We saw saints selected. And we saw sensitivity in sight. Now tonight we will study Bethesda and Bethpage. Two shorter studies which I put together. At Bethesda we will see Siloam sightless and sent. And at Bethpage, we will see the loudness of the crowds, the loosening of the cult, and the lamenting over the city. So please turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 5, and we'll read the first 16 verses. John chapter 5, commencing at verse 1. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. And there is at Jerusalem, by the sheep market, or the sheep gate, a pool, which is called in the Hebrew tongue, Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of impotent folk, of blind, halt, withered, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain season into the pool and troubled the water. Whosoever then first, after the troubling of the water, stepped in, was made whole of whatsoever disease he had. And a certain man was there which had an infirmity thirty and eight years. When Jesus saw him lie and knew that he had been now long time in that case, he said unto him, Wilt thou be made whole? The impotent man answered him, Sir, I have no man when the water is troubled to put me into the pool. But while I am coming, another steppeth down before me. Jesus saith unto him, Rise, take up thy bed and walk. And immediately the man was made whole, took up his bed and walked. On the same day was the Sabbath. The Jews therefore said unto him, that was cured, It is the Sabbath day. It is not lawful for thee to carry thy bed. He answered them, He that made me whole. The same said unto me, Take up thy bed and walk. Then asked they him, What man? What man is that which said unto thee, Take up thy bed and walk? 
And he that was healed wist not who it was. For Jesus had conveyed himself away, a multitude being in that place. Afterwards Jesus findeth him in the temple, and said unto him, Behold, thou art made whole. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come unto thee. The man departed and told the Jews that it was Jesus which had made him whole. And therefore did the Jews persecute Jesus and sought to slay him because he had done these things on the Sabbath day. And we know that God will add a blessing to the reading of his own inspired word. Let's just pray again before we go into the message. Let's pray. Again, our Father, we just give thee thanks for the reading of thy word. And Father, we just pray, Lord, that we be, might deal with uh, thy word honestly and truthfully. And Father, as it goes forth, that men and women might be drawn to yourself. And Father, should there be any that does not know Jesus Christ as their own personal Savior, we ask, Lord, that they also might be healed this day. We ask, Lord, you just touch them and bring them to their senses, as it were, that they may repent of their sin and acknowledge Jesus Christ as Savior. Father, again, just be with the speaker. Speak through him that each and every one of us might be blessed according to thy word. We ask it all in our Savior's precious and worthy name. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> uh, Bethesda means the house of mercy. The house of mercy. So for our fourth Beth, we need to turn to John chapter 5 and verse 2 again. Just verse 2. Now there is at Jerusalem by the sheep market a pool, which is called in the Hebrew tongue Bethesda, having five porches. Now this name Bethesda <coughs> excuse me, only occurs once in our Bible. It is not a town as such, but a locality. Verse 3 would cause the, uh, let's say, the careful reader to see that the population of this place would be much larger than a lot of towns around about. Look at verse 3. In these, that is, the five porches, in these lay a great multitude of impotent folk, blind, halt, withered, waiting for the moving of the water. So if you read this verse 3, uh, you'll be very soon work out that this would not be just a few people. It says there was a great multitude, probably more than some of the towns around about. In these lay a great, not just a multitude, a great multitude of impotent folk. It was almost like the local hospital. But unfortunately... Only one person per year or per season was healed. Verse 4. Whosoever then first, and the man that was cured said, well, somebody always gets in in front of me. It's not as if he could go in second or third or fourth. It was just the first one in that was healed. Bethesda is the name of the pool area. And it's just inside Jerusalem. And it's near the sheep gate. They say the sheep market, the sheep gate. And there was a sheep market there also. It's just located north of the Temple Mount. Now Bethesda, it says, had five porches. 
the five pillars, as some people would say. And it was almost like uh, small football stands, five porches, uh, five small football stands where people could shelter from the sun and the rain. Look at verse 3 again. In these lay a great multitude of impotent folk. Now the sheep gate is mentioned several times in the book of Nehemiah. We'll not be going there, but if you want to read up about the sheep gate, uh, go and do a study of Nehemiah. It was mainly used for those bringing sheep and oxen and sacrifices to the temple. And the word porch commonly means a covered place, which as I mentioned earlier, was a place where people could walk, people could sit, People could visit their sick family members. And many of them would have been there. And they probably took it in turns because a lot of these people couldn't move to the waters by themselves. And so their family members would have had to help them. But it would have been a place where they could sit and visit their members, family members, and they waited for the troubling of the waters. Now it's interesting always to compare Scripture with Scripture. The pool of Bethesda is in John chapter 5, which we've just read, 1 to 16. But there is another pool. Please turn over to John chapter 9. John chapter 9, and we'll read from verses 1 through 7. John chapter 9, 1 to 7. And as Jesus passed by... Now... I think sometimes we need to go back to the chapter before. As I've said before on different occasions, sometimes the chapter divisions are a little bit unfortunate because you do not get the complete sense of what is being said. So go back to chapter 8 and verse 59. Then took they up stones to cast at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them, and so passed by. And as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither has this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. I must work the works of him that sent me. While it is day, the night cometh when no man can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had thus spoken, he spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle. And he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay and said unto him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which is by interpretation sent. He went his way, therefore, and washed, and came seeing. So in John chapter 9, or John chapter 5, the man could see, but he could not walk. John chapter 5, he was lame. In John chapter 9, the man could walk, but he could not see. He was blind. The man in John chapter 5, is dependent on mercy. He could not do anything for himself. He was lame. In John chapter 9, he was able to obey and walk, 
but was dependent on guidance. He was blind. The Lord commanded him to go, and he went. Now please read John chapter 9 to see how this man answered the Jews. We haven't got time to go into all these scriptures today, but please read on in chapter 9 to see these Jews were always out to get the Lord Jesus Christ. They were always out to slay him and to kill him and to look for some excuse. But it's interesting to see how this man answered these Jews. But I'll leave that to you. We haven't got time this evening to do that. The Lord commanded him and he went. Now, Bethesda means mercy. The house of mercy. It meant mercy to the one man. But Siloam meant sent. S-E-N-T. To the other. And folks, the Lord Jesus Christ was sent to have mercy on each and every one of us who are dying in sin. Look at John chapter 9 verse 4. I must work the works of him that sent me. The Lord Jesus Christ was sent to have mercy on each and every one of us. And in a sense, folks, this miracle was a type of salvation. The impotent man, back in John chapter 5, the impotent man had the desire to be healed. He could do nothing for himself. For 38 years, this poor man had been in this state. Can you imagine it? Can you imagine lying there for 38 years and not be able to do anything for yourself? He was in this state and and no one could help him. No one was able to help him. I I don't know why there was nobody there to help him. I I don't know why there was no family member there. But of course the Lord came into the scene. But for 38 years this poor man had been in this state. No one was able to help him. And folks, as I thought about this, isn't that just like us? For many years we were dead in sin. And we could not help ourselves and no one else could save us. Until the day when our Lord Jesus Christ came on the scene. Until that day when we were confronted with the presence of Christ. And we were convicted of our sin. And we repented and accepted God's offer of salvation. Please turn to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2 and verses 1 to 5. And you hath he quickened. That means made alive. And you hath he quickened who were dead. We were dead in trespasses and sins. Where in time past he walked according to the course of this world. According to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that I worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all, no one is left out, among whom also we all had our conversation, that is our manner of living in times past, in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God, 
who is rich in mercy. For his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace you're saved. God's mercy. He was sent that he might have mercy on us. Second Peter 3 and verse 9 says this, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us, word, not willing that any should perish, but that all, all, no one's left out, not just a few, not just the elect, as some people would say, but that all should come to repentance. Long-suffering, not willing that any should perish. Repentance. Folks, let me just say this. The Lord is coming again soon. Time is short. And his long suffering will soon be over. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Second Corinthians 6, 2. Now John chapter 5, verses 10 and 11. It tells us that this man was healed. Praise God. He was healed. And it was a Bethesda, the house of mercy. But look at verse 10 and 11. The Jews therefore said unto him, that was cured, it is the Sabbath day. It is not lawful for thee to carry thy bed. He answered them, He that made me whole, the same said unto me, Take up thy bed and walk. And it tells us that this man was healed. And it was at Bethesda, the house of mercy. But where was the mercy of the Jewish people of the day? After 38 years of misery, this man was healed. And one would think that they would be rejoicing. Praise God, 38 years you've been there and now you're healed. Praise God for that. But not a bit of them. All they could say was, it's not lawful to carry your bed on, on the Sabbath. How incredulous they were. And all they could do was criticize now, folks, as I thought about that, that's the way of the world. That's the way of the world today. That's the way of the ungodly today. And, folks, that's the way of our media today. Here in Australia today, if you get saved and if you follow the Lord Jesus Christ, there will be nothing but criticisms and pointing of finger and all the rest of it towards us. They don't believe and they don't want to believe. They are incredulous, as I said. They never, as it were, accept the wonderful things of God and criticize when men speak of God. And when the man of God speak up. In verse 11, this man that was healed spoke up. And he said, He that made me whole, the same said unto me, Take up thy bed and walk. It's as if he's saying, Well, 
If he is able to make me whole, if he is great enough to heal me, then I'm going to obey what he says. And they asked him, what man? He says, oh, I I don't know. But do you see where he went? Do you see where he was found? Look at John chapter 5 and verse 14. And afterwards Jesus findeth him in the temple and said unto him, Behold, thou art made whole, sin no more, lest a worse thing come unto thee. Afterwards Jesus findeth him in the temple. And it was in the house of God that he learned that it was Jesus. So he learned more than what he knew before. And folks, whenever we get saved, we too may not know much about who saved us. But we too ought to be found in the house of God, where we can learn more about the Saviour who has had mercy on us because he was sent to the cross of Calvary. And again, in verse 16, we see the response of the Jews. And over and over and over, I pointed this out as he walked through Israel. Over and over and over, they sought to persecute him. Verse 16, and therefore did the Jews persecute Jesus and sought to slay him. Hard to understand, folks. How a man could go from time to time, being the Lord Jesus Christ, being the Son of God, being omnipotent and omniscient, and do all the miracles that he did. And they denied him. And they persecuted him. And they went about to slay him. It's hard to understand, folks, that a man so good would be persecuted. And folks, let me tell you this. It's no better in our days. Men in high places, men in authority, don't like to hear the word of God. Uh, and they, they would abort 100,000 babies in Australia every year, and they would abort a million babies in America every year, but they will stand up for some fella who was a criminal, and they would bow the knee to him instead of bowing the knee to our Lord Jesus Christ. They euthanate uh, sick people, euthanize. They bring in ungodly laws. They try to tell us that our children are not uh, capable of, of, of uh, being a boy or a girl they can choose. And folks, we are in desperate days. We are in the last days. And I just want to say, if there's anyone listening to these studies, and you have never, never been saved, you have never accepted Jesus Christ as your own personal Savior, then you need to look to the one who is sent, that he might have mercy on you. John 3.16, this is one of the well-known verses in the Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave, he sent his only begotten Son, that whosoever, that means you, believeth on him, should not perish, but have everlasting life. That's God's mercy at work. Now, both miracles 
John chapter 5, John chapter 9. Both miracles caused, caused the Jews to get very angry. And they set out to kill him. And the reason why they wanted to kill him was because Jesus said in John chapter 5, like John chapter 5, verse 17, but Jesus answered them, My father worketh hitherto, and I work. Therefore, the Jews sought the more to kill him, because not only had he broken the Sabbath, but said also that God was his father, making himself equal with God. So the reason why they wanted to kill him was because he said he was equal with God. And the Jews accused him of making himself equal with God. Well, let me tell you something, folks. He is equal with God. Philippians 2, 6 and 7 says, Who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. Now, if we follow that chapter down, he is not only equal with God. Look at verse 18. Therefore the Jews sought to kill him, because he not only had broken the Sabbath, but said also that God was his father, making himself equal with God. Verse 18 teaches he was equal in deity. Verse 19, Then answered Jesus and said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, The Son can do nothing of himself, but what he saith the Father do, for what things soever he doeth, these also doeth the Son likewise. He was equal in purpose. Likewise. Whatever the Father does, he does. That was his purpose. He was equal in purpose. Look at verse 21. For as the Father raises up the dead and quickeneth them, even so the Son quickeneth whom he will. He was equal in power. The Father raises up the dead. The Son raises up the dead. He was equal in power. Look at verse 23. That all men should honor the Son, even as they honor the Father. He that honoreth not the Son, honoreth not the Father, which has sent him. He was equal in honor. Then in verse 26, it says this, For as the Father has life in himself, so hath he given the Son to have life in himself. He was equal in essence. And you could keep going. Equal in deity, purpose, power, honor, essence. Jesus Christ is, always was, and forever will be God. Bethesda, the house of mercy. I just pray that he might have mercy on each and every one. Now please turn over to Matthew 21. Matthew 21, and we'll just read uh, the first seven verses. Matthew 21, verses 1 to 7. And when they drew nigh unto Jerusalem, they were come to Bethpage, unto the Mount of Olives. Then sent Jesus two disciples, saying unto them, Go into the village over against you, and straightway ye shall find an ass tied, and a colt with her. Loose them, and bring them unto me. And if any man say aught unto you, ye shall say, The Lord hath need of them. And straightway he will send them. 
All this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell ye the daughter of Zion, Behold, thy king cometh unto thee, meek, and sitting upon an ass, and a colt, the fold of an ass. And the disciples went, and did as Jesus commanded them, and brought the ass and the colt, and put on them their clothes, and they set him thereon. We're now in Bethpage, which is the fifth Beth. And Bethpage means the house of figs. Now the name Bethpage is mentioned only three times in the scriptures, well in the gospels. But all the references are to do with the same situation. The three gospels are Matthew 21, starting at verse 1, Mark chapter 11, starting at verse 1, and Luke 19, verse 29. And they all deal and record the situation of the cult and the ass. Now, Bethpage is just a, it's a small village on the, on the slopes of the Mount of Olives. And it's very close to Bethany. And it was reckoned to be about the limit of a Sabbath day's journey. Around about maybe 1.2 kilometers in our measurements today. About a Sabbath day's journey. In Acts chapter 1 and verse 12 it says this. Then returned they on to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, which is from Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. Now Bethpage means the house of things. The house of things. And apparently... The locality does indeed abound with figs, even until this day. I was just reading that a few days ago. At each mention of Bethpage, it is noted that our Lord was on his way to Jerusalem. And so when he started off in Bethlehem, then he went to Bethabara, then he went to Bethsaida, then he went to Bethesda, and so forth, He was on his way to Calvary. But when these scriptures are recorded in relation to this incident, this situation, he is on his way to Jerusalem. Matthew 21 and verse 1 mentions it. Mark chapter 11 and verse 1 mentions it. Luke chapter 9 and verse 28 mentions it. Now there may be much adulation. And there would have been lots of rejoicing as he leaves Bethpage. But he was resolute. Uh, He was resolute as he went on his way to the great city, as it were, which would eventually be the place of his final sufferings and rejection. Being omniscient, he knew beforehand that the whole situation which lay ahead would be very traumatic. He knew about the noisy welcome between Bethpage and Jerusalem. But he was determined 
He set his face as a flint. He never deviated to the left nor to the right because he was resolute to go to Jerusalem because for this reason came he into the world. And he continued on, ascending the hill, as it were, to Jerusalem. Look at Matthew 21 and verse 9, and it says this. And the multitudes that followed, or the multitude that went before and that followed, cried, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. We need to go back to verse 1. Just to complete, as it were, why it came to this situation. And when they drew nigh unto Jerusalem, and were come to Bethpage unto the Mount of Olives. Then sent Jesus two disciples, saying unto them, Go into the village over against you, and straightway you shall find an ass tied, and the colt with her. Loose them and bring them unto me. And so he sends two of his disciples. This was all done according to prophecy. Now we'll look at that in just a minute. But I just want to read something out that somebody wrote. Their name was I-Y-U-N, E-W-A-N. I don't know the person. I just read this recently. It says, No unforeseen event er took him by surprise towards the cross with fixed intent he moved with open eyes he was intent this was not something that was a surprise to him this was not something that just came upon him that he was not expecting this was his total intent this is the reason why he came to this earth. And as he approached the holy city, Jerusalem, he instructed these two disciples to go ahead and bring back to him an ass under coat. He knew exactly where they would be. After all, he is omniscient. The ass which they would sit upon had never been sat upon before. If you go back to Luke chapter 19 and verse 30, you'll read about that. It was an unbroken cult. But without resistance, it would carry him on his way. You see, he is omnipotent. And after all, he is the great creator. And if man did not recognize this, the creatures would. In Mark chapter 11, verses 4 to 7, it tells us he sat upon him. Now please let's go back to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1, just over a few pages. Mark chapter 1 and verse 13. And it says this. And he was there in the wilderness 40 days. Tempted of Satan and was with the wild beasts and the angels 
ministered unto him. He was omnipotent. He was omniscient. He is the creator. He created the wild beasts. And they recognized that. Even if others did not. The Lord says to his disciples. Listen, if anything happens. If any man approaches you. If any man says aught about you loosing the colt, just say, the Lord has need of him. Mark 11, verse 3. And so the Lord was in complete control of this situation. It was not an accident. It was not something that sprung on him. He knew exactly where he would be, what he would do, where the colt was, how he would sit upon them, and so forth. Here we see the Lord's compassion, as it were. He not, listen, he only needed one animal to sit on. But I believe in his tenderness and in his compassion, he says, bring them both to me. He knew that they, if they were separated, the one from the other, they would suffer one from the other. So he says, bring them both to me. Matthew chapter 21 and verse 7. And brought the ass and the colt and put on them their clothes and they set him their own. Albert Barnes says this. Very interesting, I thought. Albert Barnes in his note says, in Judea there was few horses and those were mainly used in wartime. Men seldom employed them in common life and on ordinary journeys. To ride a horse was usually an emblem of war. But to ride upon a mule or an ass or a donkey was an emblem of peace. Kings and princes commonly rode on them in times of peace. But this was generally regarded as a mark or or a sign of rank and dignity to ride in this manner. End of quote. We haven't got time to go into all of these, but in Judges chapter 10 and verse 4, they ride on a donkey. In 1 Samuel 25 and verse 20, they ride on a donkey. But please turn to 1 Kings 1 and verse 33. 1 Kings 1 and verse 33. And it says, The king also said unto them, Take with you the servants of your Lord, and cause Solomon, my son, to ride upon mine own mule and bring him down to Gihon. So the king sets his son on his own mule. And that's the way it was. Solomon, when he was made king, rode on a mule. So riding in this manner did not denote, as some people would say, 
poverty. But it was totally appropriate for royalty and for kings to ride upon a mule. And this is absolutely appropriate for the king of kings to enter Jerusalem in this way. Now when one thinks of this situation, what a privilege these people had. When they put their garments upon the ass, as it were, while others spread their garments along the way. Others placed branches of palm trees, which is an emblem of victory and peace. He rode on a a donkey, an ass, the emblem of peace. He was bringing peace to a city that rejected him. The road they carpeted led from Bethpage through the Kidron Valley then to Jerusalem. And all this was a literal fulfillment of what John the Baptist cried, Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Matthew chapter 3, Mark chapter 1, Luke chapter 3 and verse 4. You know, Isaiah prophesied it. John the Baptist preached it. But sadly, the people prepared the way, yes. But their heart remained totally unprepared to receive their Messiah. It was with emotional scenes of joy. The multitudes, as it were, left Bethpage. And they crowded the narrow road which led to Jerusalem. Prophecies were being fulfilled that day. The Lord's triumphant entry into the city that day would be short-lived. For not long after they would lead him out of the city. Bearing his cross. Rejected. On his way to Golgotha. And as he would be on that route to Golgotha, he would be unrecognizable as a man. Isaiah 52 says he was marred more than any man. You know, Zechariah's prophecy was being fulfilled before their very eyes. I wonder if anybody realized that. I wonder if anybody realized that. Zechariah chapter 9 and verse 9 says this. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding upon an ass and upon a colt, the fold of an ass. How much more accurate could a prophecy be? And always the Pharisees were picking fault. Always the Jews were picking fault. And in Matthew chapter 21, verses 4 and 5, they're all out cheering the Lord. And this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, and that's what we just read, Zechariah 9.9 9. 
Tell ye the daughter of Zion, Behold, the king cometh unto thee, meek and sitting upon the ass, and the colt, the fold of an ass. And again, these Jewish people, these leaders of the Jews, these Pharisees and so forth, were picking fault. Verse 6 says, And his disciples went and did as Jesus commanded, and brought the ass and the colt, and put on them their clothes, and they sat him thereon. And a very great multitude spread their garments in the way. Others cut down branches from the trees and, and strode them in the way. And the multitudes that went before and that followed Christ saying, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he was come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved saying, Who is this? And the multitude said, this is Jesus, the prophet of Nazareth of Galilee. And so, there was the loudness of the crowds. And the Pharisees were complaining again. Matthew 21, verse 9, tells us that the multitudes cried out. And the Pharisee says, Teacher, tell, tell your disciples to stop shouting out like this. Tell them to stop it. And the Lord Jesus Christ responded. You know, folks, it just it, it kind of breaks my heart to think that here was the Lord Jesus and he'd done nothing wrong he'd only done good he healed people he raised people from the dead he was coming to this world knowing how they would treat him and yet he continued on Folks, what a terrible thing that they rejected him. But whenever the Jews said to the disciples, hey, tell your disciples, tell all these people to stop the shouting. Uh, the Lord said, I tell you, but look, let's turn to Luke. Luke chapter 19. Uh, Luke chapter 19 and verse 40. Read verse 39. And some of the Pharisees from among the multitude said unto him, Master, rebuke thy disciples. And he answered and said unto them, I tell you that if these should hold their peace, the stones would immediately cry out. He's omnipotent. A donkey that's never been ridden on before, he will ride. He'll be in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights with a wild beast. Not a problem. He is sovereign over all. He even said, if they stop shouting Hosanna to the highest and Hosanna to the son of David, the stones would start calling out. 
Luke again highlights the, the human form of Christ when he was coming to the city. Luke 19, verse 41. And when he was come near, he beheld the city and wept over it. Wept over it. Folks, what caused our Savior to weep here? Everyone else is rejoicing. Everyone else is making him welcome into the city. And when he was come near, he beheld the city and wept over it. Well, verse 42 to 44 gives us the answer. And he wept over it, saying, If thou hadst known, even thou, at least in this thy day, the things which belong unto thy peace, but now they are hid from thine eyes. For the days shall come upon thee, that thine enemy shall cast a trench about thee, and compass thee round, and keep thee in on every side, and shall lay thee even with the ground, and thy children within thee, and they shall not leave in thee one stone upon another, because thou knewest not the time of thy visitation. And folks, in less than 40 years, the Roman legions would encompass the city. They would then try to starve the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And then they were besieged by the enemy. The city and the temple would be destroyed. Not one stone would be left upon another. And the inhabitants would be crushed by the power of Rome. Titus, the emperor, Tiberius Julius Alexander, his second in command, murdered at least 350,000 Jews as they besieged Jerusalem. In fact, that war went on for quite a while. There were skirmishes from A.D. 66 to A.D. 73. But A.D. 70 is when uh, Jerusalem was crushed. No wonder our Lord wept over the city. He could see the golden city across the Kidron Valley. Uh, But he and his omniscience could see 40 years down the track of time and see the city in destruction. In destruction. Verse 45 says this of Luke 19. And he went into the temple and began to cast out them that sold therein and them that bought, saying unto them, It is written, My house is the house of prayer, but ye have made it a den of thieves. And he taught daily in the temple. But the chief priests and the scribes and the chief of the people sought to destroy him and could not find what they might do. For all the people were very attentive to hear him. The Lord enters into Jerusalem cleanses the temple 
and with power and authority, he silenced the, the chief priests and the scribes. But soon, they will have their revenge. They have threatened him. They have planned to kill him. They made prophecies to kill him. And shortly, after all this praise and adulation, he would be betrayed. And he would let evil, cruel, brutal men have their way with him. See, many times they tried to take him. Many times they tried to slay him, but he passed through them as it were. It was not his time. But soon he would let these brutal men have their way with him. And just as Abraham took the ram from the thicket, which is a picture or a type of our Lord with the crown of thorns, Jesus would become our substitute. And Jesus Christ would pay the debt of our sin in his own body on the tree. He died for the whosoever. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and I shall be saved. Next week we will bring our study to a conclusion. When he stayed at Bethany just before these awful things would happen. Just before the last days. Just before the crucifixion. What a saviour. Let's pray. Our gracious God and our loving heavenly father. Again we give thee thanks for allowing us as it were. To participate in this journey along with our saviour. We thank thee, Father, for the cities and the places which we have been attending, as it were. The places we have viewed from afar. The places where our Saviour, in the main, was rejected, especially by the Jewish leaders. And, O oh God, our Father, we know that it was his intent to go to the cross. And he never deviated, not one iota. He knew what cruel men and brutal men would do unto him. And Father, we just give thee thanks. We thank thee because he was sent. We thank thee because he has had mercy on us. And it's not just for the chosen few. It's for the whosoever. And so Father, tonight, we just commit thy word to each and every one. To those that are listening in. We pray, Lord, that if there should be one or more that does not know Jesus Christ as Savior, may they be assured that he came to this sin-cursed world to die for their sin. Father and I just separate us with thy blessing in Jesus' name. Amen.